0: Tonight here at Ground Zero Ministries, we're going to continue through going the, going through the Bible, and tonight's message is on the book of James. This was a letter of James, and this is how we pronounce it in English. If you look into the Greek, his name is Jacobus, which translates into the Hebrew Yaakov. Which what we would pronounce today is Jacob. In our translations, you know, we would say his name is James in the New, in the New Testament. You know, there is two main disciples that were named James. And this letter is written to Jesus' half-brother. That we learn that James's story through the book of Acts and there's other pieces of it in Galatians, you know, and there's other pieces of it in the Gospels, you know, that we, we learn about Jesus' brother in a few different places. But there was a time when James did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, that he did not think that his brother was anything more than just a brother. However, I can't imagine growing up as James with the perfect brother always being like, oh great, J- Jesus gets all the praise again. And any of us that have had siblings that the other sibling always gets all the glory and, and we get overlooked. I can imagine that James had quite the insecurity and resentment against Jesus growing up. It's just my uh two cents you don't really see that in Scripture, but I can only imagine what it would be like being Jesus' brother. But after Peter had moved on to go and plant other churches, he moved from Jerusalem. you know, And James rose up as a leader of the mother church in Jerusalem, which was most likely made up of Messianic Jews. So this truly is the first Christian community ever. And we see that in Scripture that this church falls on hard times, that there was lots of persecution in Jerusalem against Christians, and that there was a lot of attacks and there was not a lot of opportunities for them. See, that we see in Scripture that to follow Jesus, we might have to leave our mothers, our brothers, our our sisters, you know, Why? Because in that time, it would be very similar to today that if a Muslim was to get saved, the family would persecute them harshly, even potentially kill them. So if I was a Christian in a Jewish community and I owned a business, all of my patrons that would most likely still Jewish would not come to me and I would fall on hard times because I have no way to make money. That in the community, people would know that now I'm not going to the temple like I used to. I'm not following all the rules like I used to. That they would begin to see that there's something different about me and that I would get persecuted by my family and my friends. Many of us, as we get sober or we get Jesus, our friends and our families don't really like the fact that there's a new us. You know, and some of us may fall on Hard times dealing with the family because they may still be using. They may not understand what we're doing. They may not want anything to do with Jesus. And it's so important that we realize that this is a common theme in and throughout the Bible. You know, this isn't anything new. You know, when I first got saved and I was getting sober and I was working, you know, in an establishment, that one of the people there said that I, I wish that he died in a burning car accident. Because he was so upset that his partying buddy wasn't his partying buddy anymore. He was so upset that I switched sides from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God, that he did not understand what was taking place in me. Just as some people don't understand what's taking place in you that this is more than just going to church. This is more than just following the rules. This is more than just saying I'm a believer and I wear a cross around my neck. There is so much more going on when we begin to say that Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior and it has nothing to do with going to heaven. It has everything to do with living a completely different way here on earth. And when we make it about just going to heaven, it gives us so much room to fall short. Well, I get my get-out-of-jail-free card. I'm going to heaven. But see, scripturally, the Bible gives us so many principles to apply in our lives that begin to guide us through this crazy thing called life that are completely opposite of the way we would normally live. So as these Jewish Christians are saying that I now believe in Yahshua, the Messianic Savior, that everyone would be persecuting them. Just as some of us are persecuting us, or some of us are getting persecuted because we now say that we believe in Jesus. You know, many of us have had complete ups and downs with our families and our friends. Some of you may be attacked right now by someone in your family. And it's so important that we realize that this is normal. That James is trying to teach us, James is not trying to teach us new theological doctrines like Paul. He gets straight to the point in getting to the business of challenging the ways that we think and the ways that we live. James' life and wisdom was heavily influenced by a couple of sources. Obviously Jesus was his first teaching As eventually he got saved and became real close to him, but also we see a lot of the Sermon on the Mount through what he was teaching. And in this letter, you know, we also see the biblical wisdom of the books of Proverbs, specifically poems in the Proverbs 1 through 9. See, James grew up with Jesus, you know, and all they really had was the Old Testament scriptures. You know, there was no New Testament written at this time. So Jesus you know is, is teaching James, and then James sounds a lot like Jesus that we see that through this influence that a lot of his words were Jesus's words. you know it, <clears throat> you know that James is, uses quick, short to the point wisdom using metaphors that are easy to memorize and one-liners many of us have. Pieces of James in our minds right now that we don't, may not even realize that are in James. You know, and James is calling us, Jesus followers, to become truly wise by living according to Jesus' teachings and obeying them. And above all, love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Jesus is calling us to do what we say we believe in wholeheartedly, that we devote our lives to the ways of Jesus. That Jesus is addressing hard truths and helping us to see how if we believe in Jesus but still don't live as He is asking us to live, because what we say doesn't always match up with our actions. James is exposing our double standards. That James jumps right out of the gate. He doesn't hold any punches. 1st chapter, 1st verse, I'm a slave to God. That we've all been slaves to sin, have we not? But are we really allowing Christ to be our Master and that we allow Him to make our decisions for us? Now, that can get weird. I do not pray about what I wear in the morning. I do not pray about what I should eat. I think that when people say, well, I don't know what the Lord wants me to eat today, I'm like, Cuckoo for Jesus. Thank you. (laughs) However, I do believe that He guides my steps throughout my day. There's many times that I start my day and I'm like, this is Tom's plan. This is what Tom wants to achieve. And before I even get to noon, I'm like, that's not going to happen today. You know, I am off on a different journey. You know, and sometimes I'm lucky if I get to what Tom had to plan. Because Jesus has a completely different adventure for me for that day but in first james you know we get to verse two through eight it says dear brothers and sisters when troubles of any kind come your way consider it an opportunity for great joy for you know that your faith is tested your endurance has a chance to grow so let it grow for when your endurance is fully developed you will be perfect and complete needing nothing for some of you perfectionists, you're like, yes! Anyway, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and He will give you wisdom. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask Him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person that has divided loyalties, is unsettled as a wave in the sea, that is blown and tossed by the wind. That such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, For their loyalties are divided between God and the world. They're unstable in everything that they do. Ouch. James is not pulling punches. He's getting right to the point. You know, and the rest of this short book is very similar to that. That James wants us to realize that, that we're gonna go through hard times. And it's important that we realize that in those hard times that if we choose anything other than Jesus, that it's like a, a ship getting cast between the waves. You know, so as James is writing this letter, every one of them would have known what took place in, in Paul's life as he was on the sea and the waves were casting and, and slamming into the ship so much that it got shipwrecked. So James is making this point that when we we jump from thought to thought that we become double minded that one minute we're choosing to do the right thing or we're choosing to follow Jesus. Or we're choosing to stay sober. And then within seconds, we're like, no, I don't know if I'm going to do that. And then it's like, no, 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 I got to do that. No, no, I don't know. You know, and in this back and forth in our mind, eventually we get so tired that we just say, I give up you know and we usually do whatever it is that's gnawing at us and it's usually the first thing that we do we instantly regret it how often that we've set out to follow god or stay sober or do the right thing however you want to word that and then all of a sudden our mind gets a thinking and then we talk ourselves out of doing good things you know, in the Corinthians, it talks about arresting every thought and bringing back to the obedience of Christ. You know, and see, this is, for me, these two intertwine. This is why scripture is so powerful is because it, it gives us the tools, the weapons. It says it's our sword that we can come against the lies and the, the schemes of the enemy because we can then begin to take scripture and say, no, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is what the Word says. This is what Jesus is saying. And it's so important that we, we get in the habit of bringing our thoughts through the filter of Jesus. And the more and more that we do that, the more and more that we get the Word of God inside of us, even if we don't understand it, it's okay. Because the Spirit that's in each and every one of us, the same Spirit that rose Christ from the grave, is able to pull things out as we put them things in. I don't know how many times and all of a sudden a verse pops in my mind and I have no idea what it is. And I go look it up and it's like exactly what I need to hear. And I know that I'm not the only one in this room that that's taken place in. The more and more that we get the Word in God inside of us, the more and more the Holy Spirit can pull out this, of this arsenal that is our weaponry, that we do not fight as we used to fight with our fists. We fight spiritually with prayer in speaking God's word over our situation that it's so important that we are paying attention to what we're thinking about because a person's faith is dead if they say they believe one thing and then do the opposite you know and it's it's not that any of us are perfect cuz i have done this myself and i don't want to stand up here and say that i i got this all figured out cuz i don't we're emotional beings and it's so important that we realize that feelings aren't facts and my emotions lie. You know, recovery tells me that I need to put intellect over my emotion, right? But where do we get intellect from? This world? I think not. It has never done me very good. I don't know about you. But when I began to use the wisdom that I found in scripture and I put that over my emotions, and I trusted Scripture over what I felt, that it began to guide me in a way that was very uncomfortable. But I started to see really quickly how freedom was beginning to come my way. That if we say with our actions, but we betray what we believe, do we really believe? See, what James is trying to say is that a genuine faith will always result in obedience to what Jesus has been teaching. Regardless of how we feel. Sometimes regardless of what we think is best. I don't do a very good job of making very good choices for myself apart from Jesus. I have a 30 year track record of destroying everything I touch when I do it Tom's way. I am convinced That Tom's will will destroy Tom and most people around me as I suck you down the, the abyss with me. But all of a sudden, this broken drug addict began to follow Jesus, and all of a sudden, things started to work out in his life. And most of us in this room have those types of stories, don't we? That when we finally surrender to Jesus, not going to church, because that, we can throw that right out sometimes, can't we? Following Jesus and going to church are not even the same thing. I can go to church and completely live however I want to live. But I can't follow Jesus and live how I want to live. There is a contrast in those things. You know. However, I absolutely believe that each one of us should be in church. Church is not the bad thing. Church is the box that I check that I'm in trouble. I went to church, I'm good to go. There needs to be a complete change in me and each and every one of us. Scattered through James, we find these in three different places Jesus is talking about our words. So with the same mouth that we unleash pain into people's lives, we go and then praise God that can our, our tongue speak salt water or bitter water and sweet water at the same time. We also judge people. We speak badly behind their backs. We also distort truth. We take our own advantages and we paint the picture to elevate ourselves. Meanwhile, we degrade someone else. That when we open up our, ma- our mouths, that it's a window to our heart. That out of our, mar- out of our mouths, our heart speaks. It shows people our core values, our words. That we tell the real truth about our character by the things that we speak and also what we do. So often we say one thing with our words and do a completely different thing with our actions. However, at one point or another, our mouth tells on our heart, doesn't it? I find it funny that when someone tells me, I have a good heart. It's interesting. Because Jesus says your heart's wicked. And out of our heart flows every evil thing. Wait a minute, what? Jesus just knows me. He does. He knows you're a complete, absolute, despicable sinner. And He loves you. And He wants to help you to change. And that's the great thing that each and every one of us find in Jesus is He meets us exactly where we're at. He meets us in our darkest of places and gives us a hand and says, Come here. Let me love you. Let me help you. Let me guide you. Build this relationship with me. I promise I have great things in store for you. And it's hard. It's not easy. Surrendering our lives to Jesus. Because if it was easy, we wouldn't need Him each and every day we can pick and choose. Like, we get up and, we're like, ooh, me and you, Jesus, we're going to do it today. And then by lunch, we're like, I don't know where I went. Like I'll, I'll try again tomorrow. Maybe I'm not saved. I'm not sure. You know, and we ride this roller coaster when we allow our mind to, to trick us into doing what we want or what we feel. That Jesus wants us to, to just be obedient, to trust Him. And as we do that, we begin to see that the more that we begin to to trust Him, something begins to stir on the inside of us. That there's this patience that's never been there before. I remember when I first started getting sober, and everyone's like, you know, you got to be patient. I'm like, holy crap, I'm going to kill you people. That patience is a virtue. And I am virtually not patient. I had none. I wanted it now, I wanted it my way, and if you didn't do it my way, that I would burst out in anger, I would be manipulative, and if I still didn't get my way, I'd just walk away. You know that some of us have become really good at manipulating. Some of us have become really good at using anger to get what we want. And what Jesus is trying to get to is that there is a broken person inside each and every one of us that until we allow Him to come in there and begin to heal these things, that our words just lead us the wrong direction. That when we begin to set our eyes on the right things, when we begin to set our eyes on Jesus alone, there should be this thing that starts to stir in us that this life of faith that's filled with prayer James states that he knows from personal evidence that life can be hard. After all, he was martyred. James was stoned. Not with marijuana. With actual rocks. Not crack cocaine. The kind that come from the ground that are hard. People picked them up and they chucked it at his face. something I learned a few years ago, that when someone was stoned, they would dig a hole up to your chest. They would tie your hands and then they would bury you in it. So the only thing that was exposed was about your chest up. And then they would put a burlap sack over your face so you couldn't even see the stones coming. You couldn't even duck. You couldn't even dodge. And then people would stand about 10 feet away and find big rocks, little rocks, and they would throw them as hard as they can at your face until you did not breathe another breath. It was a horrible, slow way to die. They still use that in the Middle East today. That if I was a Muslim and, and I began to accept Jesus and my family found out about that, that I could be in some remote village somewhere getting buried up to my chest, getting rocks thrown at my face. It's still a little practice today that when people don't like what you're doing because you fall in love with Jesus, that the religious mindset has to attack you onto death sometimes. So James understood very well what was taking place as he'd seen his brother get crucified and yet was still choosing to live that lifestyle. That many people will say that, that Christianity is a farce, that it's made up, it's a fairy tale. And it, what's funny to me is that if you have spent any time investigating it, you realize like these are real people. There is stories about the people from the Bible that are in different cultures. That the Jewish culture wrote about Jesus and the disciples. The Greek culture wrote about Jesus and the disciples. The Roman culture wrote about Jesus and the disciples. The Persian culture wrote about Jesus and the disciples. There's 13 other places that you can find the story of Jesus and what took place other than the Bible. It's history. And yet people would want to tell us that this isn't real. There's more evidence that Jesus was raised from the dead than Caesar actually was a real person. And that's crazy when we really begin to investigate it because the disciples were unlearned men, except maybe Paul, and they ran away from Jesus before he got crucified, after he got crucified, and the Holy Spirit came and filled each and every one of them. Each and every one of them gave their lives. Each and every one of them was killed. Brutally. That we don't do that. If we know that Jesus is lying or I'm lying, I'm not doing that. I would only do that if I know that my life depends on this truth moving forward. And some of you don't know me very well, but some of you do. And when I came to Utica, I was an atheist. I did not believe in anything that I believe today. I would not ever have pictured myself standing in front of people talking about Jesus. That the last thing that I ever wanted to do was become religious. That was not part of the plan. But Jesus came into my life and began to reveal Himself to me just as He reveals Himself to each and every one of us in a way that changes everything. And when I went from unbelief to belief, When I went to like this Jesus stuff is real, when I experienced His presence come in and begin to fall on me and begin to change the way that I feel and the way that I think, I'm like, my friends need to know about this. There's people that would never go to church that need to know that Jesus is real. Each and every one of us has a mission field. It could be our family. It could be our friends. It could be a workplace. It could be our neighborhood We don't know, but if we fall in love with Jesus, He's going to do things with us that are very uncomfortable. He's going to do things in us and use us in ways like, I didn't plan on this. This isn't what I wanted to do. And we have to argue with Jesus to the point where am I going to run or am I going to do it my way or am I going to do it His way? Because He's changed me so much from the inside out that I cannot deny Him in my actions or my words. But I have to represent Him. And there's going to be people around us that persecute us. They're going to say things. They're going to think we're crazy. And guess what? It's absolutely okay. Because at the end of the day, the only one I ever have to answer to is Him. And I will stand up for Him to the best of my ability and fall short every single day because I'm human and I'm never going to be perfect. However, I can live my life so boldly and so dedicated to Him because I want people to know that there is more about Jesus than we've ever known. Most of us have been to church, but actually we live in a post-gospel community that there is people that we walk around this life with that have never stepped foot in a church. Most of us, when we were younger, that was never a thing. Every one of us got dragged to church, and we hated it. Some of us coming to church in our adult years, and it's the first time we've ever stepped foot in a building like this. Why? Because the culture has said that it's, it's, it's out of date, it doesn't matter, it's old, it's a farce, it's a fairy tale. And Jesus is like, that's okay, I can take it. Because I'm still going to move in this earth and show people that I'm real. James is making this choice with his life. He believes that his life, his trials, his hardships are actually this paradoxical gift from God. That it can produce endurance and shape his character. Our character gets shaped by them as well. God can do these amazing works inside of each and every one of us in midst of the suffering in ways that He can't do when everything is going great. Because when everything is going crazy, don't we press into Him a little bit more? Don't we pray a little bit more when things are going nuts? When everything is going right, we're like, I got this. But it's in hardships that we our character is strengthened. We, We choose what we were going to endure. Either I'm going to run or I'm going to endure. It's really up to us. And it's not easy sometimes. But He's trying to get down on the inside of each and every one of us and and burst this thing called character that many of us haven't had the greatest of character growing up. We were characters, but we did not have character. See, this is so important that, that James repeats that our faith is perfect and complete seven times. That biblically, in the Hebrew and the Greek... This word perfect means wholeness. And using something seven times meant that it was completed. See, as we live after him, that we live completely integrated to his ways of life, that his ways of teaching, his ways of doing everything, that the world thinks we're crazy. But when our actions are consistent, that we stand up for our values and our beliefs, that we live by principle, we live by the Word of God, that we don't allow our emotions to, to be the thing that casts us between the waves, that we live by principles. That something I've learned in, in my recovery is that we practice these principles in all our affairs. And that when I live by a principle, I live by a truth, it brings a promise. When I live by emotion, I'm led by my flesh and I end up in places I don't want to be. There was times in my life that I said that I would never use again. And I meant it in the moment. But because of my emotion and because of the trial and because I didn't have character and I didn't really have a relationship with God, I ended up going back into places that I never wanted to be again. And I don't think that people go back to sin or go back to drugs, go back to alcohol, go back to whatever it is that each and every one of us struggles with because there's a variety of different struggles in this room. We don't go back to the thing that we don't want to do ever again because we're going to enjoy it. We go back to that thing because we can't stand what's going on between our ears and we go to that thing because it takes the pressure off for just a second. It gives us a moment of relief. Now tomorrow that pain can come right back and that grief and that shame comes flooding right back in and that's why we get stuck back in the cycle over and over and over again is because we're trying to turn off the noise. And eventually we get so broken and busted and disgusted that we say, I can't do this anymore. And we find ourselves trying to crawl out of that pit again. And who's standing there is Jesus. That God has this way of coming in at those moments and pulling us out of that darkest of places, even if we don't even realize it's Him. And He starts to pick us up and He loves us. And He says, I've got a purpose and a plan for you. And we're like, I'm not worthy. He's like, that's all right. I'm going to show you how good I am. And He loves us in spite of ourselves. He loves us even when we make more and more mistakes. He loves us even though we we go back and forth. That He never will leave us or forsake us is the greatest promise in the Bible, if you ask me. But it's also this curse that when I try to run from Jesus, He is with me. He doesn't forsake me. I'm trying to do the wrong things. I'm trying to sin. I'm trying to enjoy it. And he's right there saying, nope, I love you. Like Jesus, go mess with somebody else. He's like, no, I love you enough to not let you stay here. Just come with me. Watch. Watch what I can do. Just trust me. Just trust me. That the Word of God teaches us how to live by principles. And God's promises begin to come through. That when we allow the Word to guide our steps, that we don't allow emotions to grab a hold of us and and be the thing that casts us between the waves. See, James knows that most of us live this fractured people. Every one of them in this room, including myself, is broken. There's areas in our lives that are broken. There's areas in our minds that are broken. There's areas in our hearts that are broken. And Jesus is right there in each and every one of those situations saying, Trust me. I love you. I got you. But many of us, because of our brokenness, we continue to choose. The thing that feels good. The thing that takes the pressure off. But Jesus wants us to trust Him because He is the one that strengthens our character out of these places of compromise. That we don't want to admit it. We don't want to admit it when we're running. We don't want to come out of denial. We don't want to admit that I'm weak. We don't want to admit that I don't have the answers. I don't want to admit that I need help but we boast in our weakness so Christ can be glorified because He is the strong. He's the strong one in this equation that if I I trust in Him and I go His direction, that He uses my brokenness to bring around a story that people can't deny. Every one of us in this room has a testimony of what God has done in some area of our life that when people say, well, God's not real, they'll be like... <sighs> You may not believe, but that's okay, because I have complete evidence that He did this in my life. Most of us, if not all of us, on some level in this room should be dead. And yet we're sitting on a church on a Friday night listening to some tattooed bald guy talk about Jesus. If that's not a miracle, I do not know what is. This is not where any of us would be. And yet today, this is where we're choosing to be. Because we want God more than we want what this world has to offer. We want Jesus to come into our broken places and and begin to set things straight. To begin to heal up our broken hearts. The Bible tells us that He comes close to the broken hearted. That if you're struggling tonight, He's right here. He's right here for each and every one of us to grab onto again and again and again. That Jesus is on this mission to restore broken people, to make us whole again. It only begins with Him. It begins with His ways. It begins with His wisdom. It begins with His ability. It has nothing to do with any of us because we can't fix ourselves because if we did, we would have done it years ago. That we have to come to this place and say, I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea. I'm an adult and I have no idea what I'm doing. And we have to do it again and again and again. I've been saved for a minute. I have no idea what I'm doing. Jesus, you got to fix it, Jesus. Fix it! One of our greatest prayers can just be, Help! Help. I don't know what to do. I'm so overwhelmed right now. I don't know what to do. Jesus, help me. Take the next right step. I used to hate that one day at a time crap. I really did. I hated it. I understand it more now than I've ever done. Because it's not even just one day at a time. It's one minute. It's one five minutes. It's one ten minutes. It's one hour. It's just get through half the day. It's get through this day without doing something stupid. I'm just hanging on right now. i got to go to bed tonight without doing something I don't want to do. And sometimes it's so heavy. And then we wake up tomorrow... And if we feel a little bit lighter, that somehow Jesus did some cool stuff in the darkness, and all the anxiety that we felt yesterday feels a little bit less. And if we choose His way, it becomes a little bit less. we choose our way, it comes right back. And we go back and forth between that double-mindedness again. Jesus is trying to come into our mind and teach us that our ways will always result in the same things. His ways, we have no idea what's going to take place and that is completely scary to each and every one of us because we're all control freaks. If I don't know exactly what's going to happen, I ain't doing it. And Jesus is like, watch this. Every one of us is on the edge and be like, I'm going to freaking explode right now. He's like, yeah, just take another stuff. You're good. I don't know how many times I've been completely going crazy in my mind, and Jesus is like, just trust me. And I literally want to fist fight Jesus in those moments. You tell me to sit still and trust you one more time. When I get to heaven, I'm mm. I've literally screamed to him, say something out! I'm so sick and tired, you tell me to sit still and trust you. You going to trust me? Because in my anger, I get to control my surroundings, right? And I remember very clearly in an outburst of anger and a little adult temper tantrum, Jesus said, you can't manipulate me with your anger, Tom. Go for it. And instantly like a piece came. Either I'm going to trust or I'm not. It's, it's, it's simple and yet very complicated. But in that trusting, pieces of us get put back together that we didn't, don't know how to put back together in ourselves. If we could put the puzzles pieces back where they belong, but most of them <laughs> are missing. So how do we create the puzzle when we aren't the puzzle maker? And he still has like a bunch of pieces like you don't get those until you get over here. Take a step, I'll give you a piece. Take a step, I'll give you a piece. are like, no, give them all now. I want to figure it out. See, we can choose our anxiety or we can choose to trust him. We can choose his wisdom or we can choose to run. That Jesus is good in spite of our circumstances. That our trials do not scare Him. Our trials do not surprise Him. He knows exactly what's going on in each and every one of our lives. That sometimes it seems like these hardships are being given to us by Him. The Bible does say that He afflicts the ones He loves. That sometimes the circumstances that we're going through right now are breaking off a piece of us that's been crippling us since we were young since we were little. And he's asking us to take that next step with him because he's trying to heal an area that no other way will that area get healed if we don't step through the panic and trust him. Because if we allow the panic to get us to to take that step in the opposite direction, eventually we'll be put back in that same spot. Now it might be next week, it might be a year, it might be ten years. It might take Jesus that long to get us back to that place of surrender again and that craziness that goes on in the inside of us that only gets produced when everything's out of our control and we have to trust Him or not. See, James is getting to the roots of some things. See, James is constantly teaching about God's character. And he meets us in our pain. And that he's trustworthy. He's trustworthy. Many of us don't have parents that were trustworthy. Many of us have parents that were broken. Some of us had decent parents, but guess what? They're still broken. Some of us have been abandoned. Some of us have been rejected. Some of us have been severely abused by our parents. And whether we realize it or not, we project that stuff on God. So every time that we go through something, like where our parents would have stepped in and and guided us or protected us or provided for us, that when we get into that same situation as an adult, because our parents weren't doing their best life now, they weren't living a life that was following Jesus. They weren't living a life that was perfect because none of us have perfect parents. Even if they did the best that they could, there's areas that fell between the cracks. So I'm not trying to put blame on any of them. What I'm saying is that we project that stuff on God. So in times when we are in this crunch time that if our parent didn't you know, supply a need as a, as a, a young child, that we think that we have to do it. So when we get into those same types of crisis, it pulls these fears out of the depths of our mind, and that God is the only one that can rewrite our mind, can uproot those fears. And the only way that those things come to head is if we get into those situations that are completely out of our control and we go in crazy. That when we realize that He's worthy, even when the enemy comes at us, that we can resist Him. We can resist His plots, His plans, His schemes, His traps, His temptations. But we must submit to God. And then we watch Jesus, who is our victorious warrior, fight our battles for us. That we learn to be still and know that He is God. I am not God. I have no ability to control my circumstances. I have no idea what's going to happen to the rest of this day, let alone the rest of the week, or next week, or next month. I have to learn to trust Him. I have to learn to be still. I have to to get this concept, this principle has to get deep-rooted inside of me, otherwise my emotions continue to lead my show and lead me the wrong direction. That when the enemy comes in, that when we submit to God, Jesus kind of steps up and says, you can't touch him. You can't touch her. That Jesus already won the battle. The only thing the enemy can do is whisper in our ear. And that when we get behind Jesus, the enemy's like, can't get him that way. Some of us have areas that we've struggled in for years that the enemy doesn't come at us that way anymore because that area is completely submitted to God. Like, if if somebody tried to come at me right now and be like, hey, Tom, you want to smoke crack? (laughs) Not today, Satan. However, there was a time in my life, you want to smoke crack? How much you got? Let's do this. I had no ability, I had no character to resist those temptations. You know, every area of our lives, there's, some of us have areas of of victory and breakthrough. That that's not an area that the enemy can tempt us anymore. So he comes in different ways. That he doesn't give up. He waits for the opportune time to come in and try to hand us back something. And there's times that we like, no, I don't want that. Wait, maybe. No, I don't want that. Wait, maybe. No, I don't want that. See, I think that he is so persistent. See, he's been in here for such a long time and we got to kick him out. we got to kick him out of our mind. we got to say, no, 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 not today, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. I'm forgiven of that. Jesus has set me free of that. We have to begin to speak the word over our lives so that the enemy knows that we know the truth. Because if we're led by our emotions, he just keeps poking at the button. Eventually he gets us to run, doesn't he? He just keeps poking at it, 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 poking at it. And we got some people in our lives that know how to poke our buttons, don't we? But Jesus has this ability to come in and move the button or completely take the button away. So somebody tries to poke the button and be like, I ain't got that button anymore. So we've got to kick him out of our mind. But sometimes we kick him out of the house and he's down the front porch saying, come on, let's play. Come on, let's play. Come on. No, not today. Satan. Come on, let's play. And sometimes we open the door back up, don't we? So we not only have to kick him out of the house, we got to kick him off the porch. Not only we gotta kick him off the porch, we gotta kick him out of the yard. Not only we gotta kick him out of the yard, we gotta kick him out of the yard. And now he stands at the fence saying, come on! And we gotta resist him so much, he's like, no. Take a hike, Satan. I'm not buying into your lies today. And out of this, birth something new. That we learn that we can face our suffering. We face our suffering with total trust in the Father. Some of us, me even saying that, just cringed. I get it. I did too. Just talk about Jesus. Maybe a little bit of the Holy Spirit, but don't get weird. You talking to the Father stuff? I'm out of here. Can I just be honest? I did not want to hear about Father God. Like, just Jesus. We just need a little Jesus, a little Holy Spirit, but don't get, oh, no, just Jesus. Just right here, Jesus. That's all I need. Just me and Jesus. And eventually, over some time, I'm like, okay, maybe the Holy Spirit, whoa, whoa, you people are freaky. No, no, no. Oh, wait, I need some Oh, yeah. Father, no. No, Father. And I remember hearing a teaching. It said the way we look at our biological fathers, we project that onto our Heavenly Father. That we must forgive our biological fathers. Otherwise, we don't allow the relationship with our Heavenly Father to begin to heal those wounds in us. And I'm like, I hate you and your conviction. And I'm not saying this is easy. I'm saying it's a process. Some of us have some deep wound, deep wounds by our fathers. you know, and this is where God gave me the willingness to forgive and God give me the willingness to let go came because I wasn't ready to do that, but I knew I kind of had to, so help me to become willing. You know I can be all comfy on the couch, all fat and just watching TV. And the refrigerator's calling my name. If I am not willing to get my fat butt off the couch, I am not going to get the thing that my stomach says it wants. If I'm not willing to take a step, I don't find the desires of my heart. And hopefully the desires of our heart isn't found in the refrigerator, still working on that one, but anyway. I want the desires of my heart to be found in my daddy. Because that's what it means. Abba Father means Daddy. Jesus is saying He's my Daddy. And the Jewish people freaked out. Like how can you say that about God? Because He understood the, the relationship. He understood the love. See, I had some trust issues. I don't know about you guys. Trust issue or two, any of us? Not at all. We're good. And see, this is where the I trust you Jesus prayer came from. It's because in this crunch time when he's telling me to sit still and to trust him, and I would say it because I'm a good Christian. i got to declare and command and decree and to cast it out, pull it in, all this nonsense, all this spiritual craziness. But what I really need to do is just sit still and trust him. So often we go to warfare, but a lot of it's just emotional responses. What was Jesus' warfare? Casting out demons, pulling down strongholds, speaking things into existence, calling things down, don't speak that over my life. No, He just walked in peace because He completely trusted the Father. Walking in peace is the greatest spiritual warfare that we can declare the enemy is that no matter what you do, my next step is going to be trust in Jesus. Everything inside of me can be freaking out. I trust you, Jesus. 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 I trust you. Jesus, and there's tears rolling down my cheeks because I'm trusting him, but everything inside of me is freaking out, and all I want to do is run away, I don't want to do this anymore, just leave me alone, I trust you, Jesus, I trust you, Jesus, I have a choice, I got to trust you, I got to trust you, I got to trust you, that is the prayer i pray prayed more than any other prayer that I speak it all the time, I trust you, Jesus, everything inside of me wants to run away, I trust you, Jesus, I trust you, Jesus, I trust you, Jesus, because until we truly trust him, we will never experience what he has for us because the enemy will stand in the way every step of the way he just keeps poking the button. And eventually we always give up, don't we? The only way that we can press through is if we grab a hold of him and don't let go. That's the only way. It's the only way that we could not have the greater things of God and not trust Jesus on the pathway. It is the only way to what God has for us is to trust in Him. Our emotions lead us astray time and time again. And our best weapons are the Word of God and people that will speak the Word of God into our lives. Jesus has this perfect path for us to freedom. We make it messy. And we'll always make it messy. Because we're messy. We think way too much. And you know what? That's the way He made us. He wants us to choose Him. Over and over again. That He wants us to love God and to love people. And that's life. And it's messy. And it's going to be ugly sometimes. And we're going to want to give up. And we're going to want to run. And he gets it. And he'll speak into those situations. Just trust me. In a perfect world, we would have wholehearted devotion to him. In reality, we get cast between the waves far more than we're willing to admit, don't we? But I believe that as we hang on to Jesus, whether the waves or whatever the waves are doing, that He pulls us through that. That it's only by our faith, and it's in this faith that that works come from. That we serve Him because of what He's done for us. That faith without works is dead. That because Jesus has transformed our lives we, we try to help other people we try to love them we try to find injustices in this world and we try to, to be a light in the midst of darkness and each one of us may have a different one but a lot of times he pulls us out to send us back in you know the areas that we struggle the most as Jesus transforms us and we aren't afraid of our testimonies anymore that he puts us right smack dab in the middle of that as the fire that burns in the darkness. That we can burn in a way that no one else can burn because we have Jesus and we have a testimony that says that that darkness doesn't have a hold of me anymore, that Jesus set me free. James immersed himself in the wisdom of Jesus. And we can only find that in His Word. He's given us a great gift this letter, from, this letter of James is truly just the wisdom of Jesus moved through his brother. And it's like a beautifully crafted punch in the face. I don't know about you, but I would rather get punched in the face by Jesus than running away from him. That we have to learn to stop serving our flesh and follow Jesus. You just bow your head Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you for all that you're doing, Lord. I thank you for moving in this room tonight, Lord. You're so amazing. You're so beautiful. You're so powerful. You have a way of, of, of getting to the roots of things. Lord, i don 't know what you were doing tonight, you were doing stuff in me that i i won 't figure out quite yet lord and I know that you 're faithful and that your word is true Lord, and I pray that that seeds were planted lord that that walls were turned torn down that the hardness of hearts, Lord that you penetrated that brought our hearts alive lord that you're teaching us that we just got to take the next step with you that we 're going to go through hardships and it It teaches us to endure, and it teaches us more about you. Lord, each and every one of us needs you. We need you so much. Lord, I pray that you reach into each and every one of our situations, Lord, and help us to see you in the midst of it, no matter what's going on around us, no matter what's going on inside of us, Lord, help us to see you. Help us to grab a hold of you. Help us to trust you. And watch what you can do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen.